alum. Um, I want to, of course, dedicate our learning to uh, the people who need uh, Rafua uh, and the Yeshua, the Chatufim and the Chayalim should all come back safely. We should have no more Tzarot. Uh, Hashem should show us his great hand. We need some Nisim and good things. I didn't listen to the news all day, which is great. Busy with Torah. Lulei Torah's Chashashu'ai. It's much better to learn Torah than to listen to the news, I must say. Um, I'm going to screen share. We have an extremely dramatic parak. Parak Haftalat is when um, David and Shaul meet each other. They haven't actually been face to face for a very long time. And there's been just this chasing, and Shaul tried to kill. David many times, and in this parak we get to see an interaction that's actually, um, uh, to me, very, very poignant, very sad and moving, and, uh, and, and so many levels get to see uh, a change here. So let's just go to the screen share. Okay. Now I found a really strange thing that my Ma'agar Sifrut HaKodesh is completely off in terms of the Sukkim, so I can't really use that. I, I'm telling you that we're going to divide this parak into three parts, okay? And we're going to do it here because that doesn't work for me. The first part is let is uh, where David David finds out that Shaul is actually in his power, and what he chooses to do about that. The second part is where David tells Shaul that he was in his power, and that he did not um, kill him, which would have been a logical thing to do. And the third part is Shaul's answer. So. We, we saw in the last parak that Shaul is in, in such, he's in such a state, like it's hard to like even understand it. He's become completely obsessed. He seems to think that David is trying to kill him, which is not true. And he, he first chases him to Keilah and then the Zephim and he, David keeps slipping through his hands. So this is, this is a godly thing, but the last episode at the end of Parakhaf Gimel is very, um, it's a very close call for David. It's a very close call. And they're about on different sides of the mountain and Shoal's men are about to close in on him, right? And Shoal's on this side and David is on the other side and David was trying to get away, but Shoal and his men were surrounding Otrimel David and all of a sudden, Pesach of Zion, the last parak, a malach comes, perhaps a heavenly malach, perhaps a, a, a human being, and says, Shaul, you have to hurry, the Plishtim are attacking. And Shaul, although he's very much torn between following the Plishtim and following David, he, he does the right thing, and he goes to fight the Philistines. There's, there's the sense in Parakhav Gimel that Shaul's kingship is shaky. He's not taking care of the people. We have the, a number of indications. Number one, we see that a number of people, the people who joined David are Marei Nefesh. They're embittered. You know, it's of course, when people are embittered, it's always the government's fault. So they're angry with Shaul. Shaul hasn't been taking care of them. The other, uh, um, some of the Mepharshim say there's people who, are um, being um, persecuted by creditors. And then the other indication is that in Parakhav Gimel, David goes down to help the people of Keilah. Where is the king? He doesn't help the people of Keilah. And then Shaul is just, he, he pretends that he's going after the Philistines and he gets an entire nation together and he's really just going after David. So he's, he's really kind of in a terrible state. He's just completely obsessed. And David at this point is very, very disturbed. 
And um, the word nechpaz, I'll just remind you, we had a very interesting midrash that David says, Ani amarti bechapsi kol ha'adam kozev. And um, the midrash connects it with this this time. He was nechpaz. He was so stressed. The danger was so overwhelming that he said, well, maybe Shmuel wasn't right in anointing me. Maybe that won't actually happen. And Hashem says, no, Shmuel was Ne'eman. He's a true prophet, and Hashem saves him. In Perikop Dalit, David moves. He's on the move. <clears throat> I just want to show you the map. Okay, here he was in Zif, right? He was in Keila, and he goes to Zif. Now he moves all the way east to Engedi. And Engedi is a place most people would be familiar with. It's near the Dead Sea, and it's a really rocky, rocky, hilly place. You know, that's where you go for your good climb. And then you jump in the water, there's a calf, right? So everybody knows what Engedi is. And that's, you know, he's still in Yehuda territory. He's still south, but he's gone all the way east. And that's, you know, getting away from the Philistines as well. Okay. And he settled or he was sitting in the Mitzadot. Now, the Mitzadot seemed to be a kind of um, tall rocks. This is what the, the Rafarshim explained tall rocks where there are strongholds where they can look out and protect themselves. So, in, in military strategy, which is something you kind of have to understand the basics of it in order to understand a lot of the Tanakh. The heights are the safest place to be because you see what's going on below you. Anyone who's been up on the Golan Heights will understand that principle. Now, in Pasuk Bet, Now, and it was when Shaul returned from going after the Philistines, they told him David is in the desert at Ein Gedi. Now, it's very interesting that we have absolutely no information about this battle with the Plishtim. It's, you know, we don't know how long it took. We don't know who won. We don't, nothing. And it seems as if the Tanakh is fo focusing, the Mikra is focusing on what we need to know. The, the Plishtim right, right now is secondary. And Shul took 3,000 choice men from all of Israel. This is his number. If you recall back earlier when Shul had an army, 3,000 was the number. In Perikhaf Gimel, when he gets the people to go, when the Zephim come to him, the rats, the ratty Zephim, and they tell him, right, um, I don't know, no, no. Before that, um, here when the Bale Keila, right? He gets the whole people together, right? He brings the whole people, the whole nation. By Shama, this pasuk the previous pasuk, by Shama shows kol amlamilchama lebed keila latzuel davar et kol amlamilchama. In the story of Keilah, right, he fooled the people, the Malvim says. He, he told them we're going out to war, and he made them understand that it was against the Pushtim, but it was really against David. So he can't do that again now. He's going to Engedi to chase David, and this is already, he's out of the closet, so to speak, and he he doesn't care who knows about it. So he's taking 3,000 choice men. By the Bakesh of David, by Al Surei Hayelim. On the, on the face of the mountains of the Elim. Now, Yael, I, I found a picture for you of Yael. <laughs> Yael is an ibex, a mountain goat, and it's a very beautiful creature. And the, the Tanakh tells us that the Elim live in places like Engedi. And, um, you know, in, in Barhinafshi, uh, Kuf Dalid, in Tehillim, it says, Harim The high mountains were for, are for the Ye'elim. The mountain goats go up 
there because that's where they are safest. And they, they're very agile. They go all up and down without any problems. And that's, you know, oh, there was another uh, beautiful pasuk about, I didn't find that for you, uh, in Eov, right? Hayedata et leditia elei sela. Well, Hashem says to Eov, do you know when the Elim are going to give birth? Now they give birth on the rocks. So when he goes, Shaul goes to look for David, he goes to the rocks of the Elim. And the Malbim has a whole discussion here. The Malbim says probably Shaul felt that the the likelihood is that David is hiding uh, high up among the uh, the rocks of the Yaelim. The Yael um, is, a, is a strong and beautiful name. I have Yael, the granddaughter. Okay, Pasik Dalit. And here the plot thickens, okay? Shaul, right, comes to the Gidron Hatzon. Now, a Gedr is a fence. There were um, flocks of sheep and, and probably goats. They made fences for the tone, and there were probably shepherds there. So the Malbim says, Aleph, right? Hinelo it never occurred to show that David would be there because a, there were fenced in places for the for the sheep and the goats and many many shepherds and b, and it was near the road, and it wasn't a uh, a hiding place, and therefore Shaul, right, went himself into this cave without fear. Right, he didn't imagine that they were there. Now, the Malbim says that David, in his great wisdom. It's here. Um, where is that? Here. He sat in the, it's a very interesting, strategically, David is anticipating what Shoal will think. And this is something we should learn, you know, not that we're running any uh, battles and tactics, but in any event, if you have an opponent, this is just as true in chess as it is in you know any any game of skill. If you can anticipate what your enemy will be thinking and doing, then you can forestall it. So David, this is an interesting Malbim. The Malbim says David figured that Shaul would look for him on the high mountains, so he stayed close to the road with his men, and he hid directly off the road in this big big cave. Now he has six hundred men with him. So it must be a very big, big cave. And they're all the way in the back. And Shaul comes in and the expression is Now we have seen this expression before, if you remember. Okay, like we saw Yael before. We mentioned that Yael, the heroine um, who kills Sisera. In the story of Eglon, back in Shokhtim, Perikimo, when Eglon, Ehud kills Eglon and he leaves, and the servants don't go in because they are saying, He must be, you know, relieving himself in the Cheder HaKera. So they, after he killed him, it's, there's a lot of, you know, very, um, shall we say, gross uh, information there that the excrement came out and there's a smell. So they assume that he is moving his bowels. The expression, Literally, um, the most accepted explanation for Lahasef is from the Seymour to cover his feet. And this is a euphemism for going to the bathroom or, you know, um, relieving yourself or whatever you want to call it. When the person needs to like go and, and sit and do his stuff, the, the cloak or whatever they're wearing they cover their legs. That's a measure of tzniut, of uh, modesty. And if you recall in the Chumash, when Hashem talks about the army, the army should be tzanua, and they should go around and cover cover their tracks. So there is an Indian to be careful here. So Shaul feels himself alone, and he feels that he's private, and he goes into this cave, right? And David and his men, Basit Dalit, are sitting at the far end of the cave. 
דוד ואנשיו ירקציהם על היושבים. Now the Malman points out that if you come into a place that's dark, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust. Shaul coming in is only going to see black. But the people who are sitting in the back of the cave who see Shaul come in, they have the clear... Hi, Anna. Um, hello? Hello? Hello, hello. Hello. I think you're talking not talking to us, so maybe you need to mute hello? yourself. Hello? Please mute yourself. Ruthie, thank you. Okay. Um, Pasek, hey, my yoma and shades of it a love. Hine ha yoma shara marashem elecha. And the people, David's men, remember he has 600 men now, they said, look, the day has come where God has given your enemy in your hand, as he said, and you can do to him whatever is good in your eyes. And of course, what they mean is go kill him. This particular, um, this particular Nebuah we don't know it. We don't. We haven't seen it. At what point did God say He will save your enemy from your hand? I mean, save you from the hand of your enemy. Excuse me, right? And here's also in two uh, two different versions: the Ketiv and the Kri. One is singular. One is plural, right? So you have this very strange situation here. These men are saying, "Now is the time. God is with you. Get rid of, of this man. He is." You know, he is out to get you. And David gets up. And he comes over very quietly to where Shaul is doing his thing. And he cuts off the edge of his cloak. This is really kind of unbelievable. It tells us a lot about David. And it was after this that David's heart smote him because he cut the, the end of Shaul's cloak. And we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions here, right? The first question is, why does David have compassion on Shaul. Okay, so the Gemara discusses this story, and I'm I have a couple of Gemaras here open. Okay. Um, this comes a little bit later, but it's basically the same idea, right? Right? Hatora Amra Habala Hargachash Kema Hargo. The one who comes to kill you, get up earlier and kill him first. And the Rambam, the Rambam in Mishnah Torah talks about the idea of a rodef. Harodef achar chaverol hargo, hafilo hayah harodef katan harikonsur mitzubin hatzilin yadaf miyad harodef hafilo nafshot rodef, right? Okay, the, the laws of Rodef are very complicated. Just to give you the short version, the Ramam is saying if one person is actively seeking to kill another person, or uh, later on he mentions that the same thing is true of rape, any person is obligated to kill that Rodef, um, preferably to maim them and stop them, but you have to you have to stop them. And if necessary, to kill them so they to avoid it's a strange halacha because they haven't done anything yet, but their intention is so he goes into a whole discussion. They have to be warned, they have to be told, and they have to be, you know, continuing with their pursuit. The problem with these halachas is not so clear if this applies to the situation of Shaul and David, because the the idea of Rodephus is actively coming for, toward you. And, um, and Shaul could certainly argue 
that David is worthy of death because he's rebelled against him. So it's not so clear, but it's very clear to David's men. Don't forget, they're not made of the same stuff as David is. They are extremely embittered, unhappy people. And they say, well, let's put a stop to this. Let's, you know, stop him from uh, chasing us from this whole situation. And David won't do that. So it's worth a minute to like think about what are David's motivations and how does he really feel about Shaul? And um, when we see the way he speaks to him, you see there's, there is certainly um, resentment, but there is a, there's a residue of affection and respect. And it's a very, it's a very tough thing. And also David has a lot of honor for the idea of the anointed one. This is this person is anointed by God. So the whole story with the cloak is a strange thing. Why does he feel bad? And the Gemara. Um, Really, really a very interesting comment, right? Here's David, who, with his great restraint and his great um, righteousness, does not kill Shaul. He only cuts the cloak, and then the Kamara comes along and says, you shouldn't have done that. And because you did that clothing, right, because you were Mervaza clothing, you will not have any benefit from clothing. Now, I actually heard an interesting interpretation by Reviron Cutler. This is not actually a punishment because David is saving his own life here. He's attempting to make it clear to Shaul that he has nothing, um, he has no intention of hurting Shaul and perhaps saving his own life by this. So it's not like he did anything wrong, but um, his analysis of it is that this is just a sort of immutable law. If you, you know, treat something lightly, it's not gonna work for you later on. It's a strange, strange one. Okay, so David, right? Okay, you know what, we'll come back to this because I wanna show you in the text. Right. So David is sad that he does this. And his people are not sad. They are angry. Like, they don't think this is enough. In other words, the, the question is, is this out of place or not? There's different opinions. It seems like David goes back to the men having not killed Shaul, and they argue with him. Or this argument happens before, and it's just out of place. And he says... God forbid that I should do this link, Ladoni. He's my master. He is my uh, uh, ruler. He's a Mashiach Hashem, a Mashiach Hashem. Bashlok Yadibo, Mashiach Hashem. David is like, I can't do that. He is God's anointed. I, I, you know, I have, um, you know, background as an English major, and I always, for some reason, remind myself of Macbeth. Right. This is sort of, you know, Macbeth is a horrible story, but Macbeth is told that he's going to be king. Right. Of course, it's a, you know, witchcraft. It's not the same as a prophet, everything else. But his reaction is also, I have to kill the king so I can be king. Right. You know, Lahabdil, Elf Alpha Habdalot. Right. But David is full of righteousness, full of Emuna. He says, you know, if God wants me to be king, I'll be king. I am not going to be the person who kills the anointed one of God. Now, the whole story with the cloak, I want to show you Medrash and Tiller, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Rabbi Yehuda says, David says, oh, I have stopped him from doing the mitzvah tzitzis. So that was why David felt bad. That's what. 
Rabbi Nechemiah because there was one hour that he could not do tzitzis, that was why David felt bad. So when Shaul comes out, he he can't find his tzitzis. So he says, He says, He says to Avner, his general, his first cousin in general, where is the end of my cloak? You must have crossed some thorns and it ripped off. This is coming a little bit later when David actually speaks to Shaul. My father, see. Very interesting, Medish. I want to go through the whole thing and I'll, uh, we'll see it in the text. From here, we learn that a person is obligated to treat his father-in-law like his father and honor him. He's talking, there's Avi, he says later, I'll show you inside. And the Medjus talks about why he felt bad. He felt bad because he was mevatel him from tzitzis. And then the Medjus goes on and says, he says re'e twice. One re'e is for Shaul, my father, see. The other re'e is for Avner. Now, Avner is skeptical. He said, well, your cloak ripped on a, on a thorn. Big deal. Right? Right. Rabbanan Omri. Avi re'e amal Avner. Dehave Aryeh Araisa. Called him Avi re'e Aryeh. And he said to Shaul. Right? And later on in chapter 26, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But um, that is getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. So he is arguing, David back in the Pusik Zion, he's arguing with the men. I can't do this thing. This is not right. All right. Now, um, I heard some very interesting ideas about this reason that David can't kill Shaul. So first of all, he's a tzaddik, right? This is not going to be his thing. He's going to leave. This is a Muna is in place and God will take care of it. But it's also there is there is some residual affection and sentiment for a man that was his mentor, his uh, you know they back in chapter sixteen he played for him and they loved each other. He's Yehonatan's father. He's his father-in-law, and he has tremendous respect for the office of king. Now, the Rabbah discusses this whole thing about the king, because he keeps saying, Mashiach Hashem, Mashiach Hashem. And he says, this is also, like, the Bible goes, this is complete, he's a tzaddik, that's period, he's a tzaddik. But the Rabbah says, there's a practical side to this as well. Once you start making it okay to kill kings, um, so who else could be next? David is very strict on this. We can see further on in the stories where someone tells David, um, that he killed Shaul, which that's a whole discussion, how Shaul dies, and David kills him. He thought he's going to make David feel so good. David kills him. And later on, two men kill Ishboshet, Shaul's son, who was taken over for a short time. And, and David kills them also. They come to David, they kill Ishboshet. He says, How can you do such a thing? So David is also protecting the office. A king should be untouchable, so to speak. That's the practical side, but the Abarbanel says, no, no, he, he's just a great tzaddik. So Pasuk Chet, right? The word really literally means to split. We see this with kosher animals. Shosat Shesa. Shesa in modern Hebrew is a uh, split, you know, it, it, notably uh, I remember my my uh, my girls and all the Tznias rules in the Beis Yaakov. You can't have a Shesa if you, the skirt has a little bit of a, um, I don't even know what to call it in English. <laughs> um, that's it. I'll lose my English. It's a slit. Thank you. It's a slit. Slit. So 
Shesa is to divide. It's a very strange language here because it really means to split. So David split his people by Debarim. He used words to split them. It sounds to me as if he's come back with the cloak and they say, you don't want to kill him, we'll kill him. And he splits them. So either he splits them from each other and he talks to them and he stops them or he splits them and he doesn't let them go. They said, we'll go kill him. In the meantime, meantime, Shaul gets up and he goes. So it's a very interesting kind of uh, reaction that David is, he's not letting anybody do this. Right? Okay, so Shaul goes out and now uh, one of the things we see here like that we have to always learn is the honor. Honor for the parents, honor for the authority, and with David, it's a very great principle. Pasuk tet. David Okay, Now David follows Shaul out. It could be the people wouldn't want him to even show himself, but David has an agenda here. He wants to speak to Shaul. So we have to understand that David is not very close to Shaul. He waits until there's a certain amount of distance between them. And then he calls after him and he has something very important to tell him. Now, again, the respect here and Shoal turns around. Like, if if you have an enemy trying to kill you, I don't know, Melech, it's it's intense. By Yiko David, he bends his head, a paim arta, he bows down, by he bows down to the ground. The tremendous respect that he gives Shaul here. And Shoal is standing there, like he could have treated him very, very uh, you know. In a very humiliating fact, don't don't forget, David is finding Shaul not just in a um, in a vulnerable state, not just unprotected, but like he's he's like in a, a very private business over there, and David could really have, you know, humiliated him on so many levels. This thing that he cuts his cloak, even that small thing, gives David a tremendous amount of sorrow. But now he comes out and he says, my king, and he bows down to him. So much respect, so much honor. Why are you listening to Lashon Hara? Divrei Adam, right, is singular. Why are you listening to the words of person saying David has it in for you. David wants to do bad to you. So Rashi right away says, who is Adam? Rashi right away says, Doeg. And that would be the most obvious, you know, person who is talking Lashon Hara with Shaul. We've already seen Doeg talk Lashon Hara. And why are you listening to Lashon Hara? Why do you believe in these people? Right? And this is a very great question. There actually could be an argument made, um, that we'll see in chapter 26, that Abner is also um, saying bad things about David. Because you see from the Medrash Tehillim, which I showed you, that Abner says, now your cloak just got caught on a thing. He's just, he doesn't buy it, right? In chapter 26, a similar story happens, and David challenges Abner there. So it could be that Abner is also... But David is like, why? Why do you listen to these people? And today, your own eyes saw. God gave you my hand in the cave. This is a very difficult phrase. We'll just give it the simplest explanation. We'll come back to it. And he said to kill you, but he was but he was sorry. 
But Omar, and I said, usually when you're not talking to someone, that kind of word Omar means you're talking to yourself. I will not send my hand against my master because he is the anointed of God. So this phrase here, right? Rashi says it's a few words missing. It should say, somebody said, somebody said, even one of David's men or several of his men, I should kill you. My soul, which is feminine, had pity on me. And I said, I won't send my hand against my master because he is the anointed one of God. Plus, it could be And my father, look. Also, look. I have the, the really literally, Kanaf is the wing. I have the end of your cloak in my hand. I cut the edge of your cloak. And I didn't kill you. I was standing over you with a knife. And I didn't kill you. I just cut your cloak. I could have killed you very easily. Da Understand. See. I don't have any sin. I don't have any evil. And you're haunting my soul to take my life. God should judge between you and me. God will take revenge, my revenge from you, but my hand is not going to come out against you. It's quite a strong statement, very strong statement. Look, first of all, that David calls him Avi is very evocative. Don't forget, he's his father-in-law. Now, the Gemara in Brachas, I have started to show you that, talks about this Pasuk. Um, okay, so first of all, there's a lot of discussion here about Sneas in the bathroom, right? And the Gemara does an interesting thing with this difficult phrase and says, David David said, I wanted to kill you, but that's, that's feminine. Your tzniah saved you. Right? right? Your tzniyas saved you. It's a really, really strange kind of uh, comment. Back, it, what we're saying here, let's just, you know, not leave the word tzniyas out there. Tzniyas is not what, it, you know, yeah, anybody should read Rabbi Manning's book. Tzniyas is not just what you wear. Tzniyas is a state of mind. If you have um, someone like Shaul carefully goes into a cave, he carefully covers himself when he's doing his thing. And there's nobody there. At least he doesn't think anyone's there. And that great, great Mida has David stop and say, look, you know, this is a, this is a righteous person. He is so Tsanua. Now, in another place, just to give you the, you know, the Medrash, I'm sure you've heard, the Medrash says, because Rachel was Tsanua, she was over to have a descendant named Shaul, right? Because Shaul was Sanua, he was um, he was he merited to have his descendant Esther. So we have this line of modest, private, quiet people who are um, discreet. I think discretion is probably a better a better word, a better translation of Sneas in this context. Okay, so he says, I, I saved you because of this. Now, that's that's a Gemara. It's a little bit drushed. Now, over here, basically, there's a few parts of the speech. I'll just go ahead. 
and finish this and then I'll sum up the speech that David makes here. Okay, Pasuk Yudali. Kasher Yomar Mishala Kadmonim. May Rishayim Yetzei Resha V'yadilo Tiyebach. There is an ancient proverb, right? Mishal HaKadmonim. Now, Mishal is like a parable, the early parable, the Kadmoni, very, very uh, ancient. May Rishayim Yetzei Resha. From evil people, evil will come out. V'yadilo Tiyebach. But I... I'm not going to put hand on you. Now, it's interesting because, right, David is saying a few things here. He's saying, I am not evil. But the implication is, you shall are evil. I won't have to. I don't have to raise my hand against you because the fact that you're doing evil things will come back. You know, it goes around, comes around. What's the Risha? Imit say Risha. There's a lot of uh, midrashim on this, Mashal Kadmoni. Rashi says something interesting. Mashal Kadmoni Torah. In other words, the the Kadmoni, the, the first, the first, the earliest source is God, and the Torah is the Mashal of the Kadmoni. And it teaches us that uh, from evil people, evil comes out. And the Malbim goes into a whole discussion. He says, Kayin. Okay, Kayin, remember who killed Kayin? Kayan kills Hevel, right? Who kills Kayan? His own descendant. And your own evil is going to kill you. And the Torah says, what Rashi's referencing here is the whole thing of the Torah of, of the accidental killer and the intentional killer and they meet at an end and the accidental killer kills the, uh, the intentional killer and they, like, they both get punished in their own uh, madrega. But what David is saying is, I I'm not going to be that person. Evil people will cause their own downfall. I'm not an evil person, and God will take care of me. God's going to get you. And again, we have uh, an important lesson here. Like, you know, our, if we are, um, uh, if we have enemies, right, and we, uh, we can't decide that we're going to deal with things ourselves. It's a very problematic situation. And I'm not going to talk about the war and things like that, but just in a, like in a private sense, right? You can just let it go because, right? God is the judge. Now, David keeps reverting back to God. One more thing he says. Who are you going out after? But who are you chasing? A dead dog. A parosha is a flea. flea. His, his humility is extremely total. And I think it's a trait of David's that we could follow along. Because, you know, David, right, with the whole uh, Goliath thing, he's like, I can't have this. You know, he doesn't want to upset Shaul. I'm not going to take your armor. Don't forget, there's a whole Indian there of David and Shaul's clothes and the, the kingly clothes. It's a whole thing. We can do a whole thesis on that, but not now. In any event, right, he when he's told that they wanted to marry the king's daughter, he says, who, me? I'm nobody. I'm like, he's always, you know, um, retiring. David is a, a humble person, even though he's been anointed king. And he's giving so much honor to Shaul. And I'm, like, I'm just, well, I'm a dead dog. I'm a nobody. Why are you chasing me? Don't forget, you're the king. You know, you might as well send some enemy after me and some uh, officer if I'm your enemy. But like, why is this the appropriate thing for the king of Israel to be running around after a dead dog, after a flea? Dogs don't get a good rap in, in Shmuel, right? Goliath says, a caliber anochi, my dog. Like, it seems to be like, a, you know, like a real put down. Is it gonna give you a lot of glory to kill a dead dog? Or a flea. What are you doing? 
God will be the judge. God is the judge. He will judge between me and you. And he will see and he will fight my fight. And he will judge me and he will save you. Now, there's really um, a three-part argument here of David's. Number one, I could have killed you. I could have killed you and I didn't. So you see that I don't have any bad intentions. Okay. Number two, I'm not a, I'm not a bad person. Right? I'm not acting like a bad person. You're acting like a bad person and bad people bring about their own downfall. I'm not a bad person. And number three, seriously, I'm, I'm nobody. And each for each argument, he keeps bringing in God. God will punish you. Uh, God is watching. And I'm going to keep my hands clean. And it's an important lesson. God is watching. You keep your hands clean. Sometimes people provoke you and you might do something that's wrong. Um, but God is watching. So you just keep your own hands clean. And this is his argument. Now we see the rest of the parakeet, Shaul's answer. Is that your voice, my son David? Like, this is just so sad, right? Is that your voice, my son David? All along, it's Ben Yishai, Ben Yishai, Ben Yishai is doing this. Now it's my son David. Like, it must be an overwhelming feeling for Shaul to realize he actually was at his mercy. He could have killed him. He's standing over him with a knife, right? And he doesn't. And he's standing saying, well, what do you want from me? Why do you want to kill me? I don't have anything against you. I haven't done anything to you. And Shaul, all of a sudden, sees the truth here. He raises his voice and starts crying. He is so emotionally charged here. Like, it, it must be so difficult for Shaul to get to this place where he's like, Oh, you could have. You are more tzaddik for me, which tzaddik not necessarily only like righteous. It fits here. Like you are more righteous than me. If you recall, Yehuda says to Tamar about Tamar, Sad she's more righteous than me. But it also has the connotation of innocence and purity. Like you know, and a lot of times tzaddik, right? The person who is innocent, like you are really right here. Shaul is admitting it. You only did good for me. And I did bad for you. This must be so hard for Shaul. But he's seeing the truth here and he's admitting it. It's really sad. He's like, you always did good for me. And the mom says, you killed Goliath. We were stuck for 40 days with that monster. You killed Plishtim. You saved the Jews. You were always good. And I'm doing evil for you. That says it Mishle. Right? Perek, Zion, Pasuk, Gimel. Meshivra, Tachas, Tovah. It's one of my favorite sukkah. It's very, very profound. A person who repays evil for good, evil will never leave his house. And it doesn't seem like it's such a, uh, a practical statement, but more of a metaphorical ideal. Like a person who is capable of giving back evil for good, such an ingrate, they're their house, their household will always be damaged. Their, their whole lifestyle is, is off. That's a very tremendous lesson. Like, where is the gratitude? David really saved your cold. And here I think it's important to understand that Shaul is just obsessed. He's possessed. He's not in his own right mind. And I think in a certain sense, that Ruach Ra'ah is doing him in. And it's possible, don't forget, David was first, first met Shaul by playing music for him and soothing the Ruach Ra'ah. And David realizes that Shaul's Ruach Ra'ah happened when David got the Ruach Hashem, when he was anointed. 
So in a certain sort of way, it's David kind of the cause of Shaul's Ruchra. But the Ruchra, it takes someone over. It's kind of mental illness. And in this moment of clarity, Shaul sees it, but he doesn't know how to fix it. It seems like he can't fix it. And you're telling me today that you did good to me. God gave you over in my hand. You didn't kill me. Is that a normal thing that a person meets his enemy and he lets him go and he he helps him and he give, goes him on the right and sends him on the right path? And God should pay you back good because of this day that you did for me. And think about this. Shaul, in this moment, moments of tremendous clarity, has intense remorse. And so much of it, he's blessing David. He said, you really, you, you were actually more righteous than I am. You only did good for me, and I did bad for you. And you could have killed me, and you didn't kill me. Is that a normal thing? People, when they get to hold of their enemies to, to send them along, now the mom has an interesting comment here. And he says, a person will learn lusser from you, that if it finds his enemy, right, he learns from you that he can send him off and every time that a man forgives his enemy, Hashem will give you reward because you were you were the person to teach that that lesson. It's a very very beautiful bracha. And this is how the mom explains it. You you're giving a lesson to the world in righteousness, in in um, kindness to others, and not holding grudges. And right, it's it's interesting. Pasuk Chafalef. Now Shaul's tremendous submission. Pasuk Chafalef. V'atai ne'yadati ki malok timo v'kamei biyadcha malok as Israel. I know that you're going to be the king, and the king, the kingship of Israel is going to um, come up in your hands. And um, this is a huge admission. And all of the things that, that Shoal has said here are tremendous emissions. The Das Mikra says, Shoal, he wants to reward David. He's trying, he's blessing him, and he's giving him a lot of uh, good um, feedback for this incident. But Das Mikra says he, he, he also recognizes that he cannot change his ways. He's compelled to keep this up. But I know you're going to be the king. We'll get back to that in a minute. I know you're going to be the king. Right? And so, because I know that, please, he says, swear to me by God. Right? It's a very tremendous oath that you will not wipe out my my seed, my descendants after me, and that you will not uh, destroy my name from the house of my father. And David swears. At this moment in time, Shaul leaves, and David's people go their way, and there's a certain tremendous feeling that David goes away with because Shaul says, I, I know you're going to be the king. And Shaul blesses him and Shaul recognizes this. But David is not going to let down his guard because Shaul had a moment of clarity. And he goes back to the Mitzvah. He goes back to the right place. He's not ready to expose himself further, even though Shaul has had this very, very sad moment. And he says, David, my son, so sad. I think there's a couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, when David says, right, 
God will take my revenge against you. The Dat Mikra says, David is willing to let him go. David is willing to, you know, not um, hurt Shaul. But David is not forgiving him. There's no mechila here. God, he, he actually invokes God here. He says, God is going to judge this and take care of this. I don't have to do it. It's not in my hands, it's in God's hands. But it seems from to Dasnikov that he hasn't forgiven Shaul, even though he will not um, hurt him. And when Shaul says, I know that he'll be the king, the question that Mephoshim asks is, how does he know? Why does he say it here? So Rashi brings two explanations. The first one is Shat. I see that you're always successful. Everything you did, you were successful, and I've tried desperately to kill you, and I haven't been able to kill you. How do I get rid of this? Okay. I I can't kill you. So that's one. But the Medrash says, let's go back to here. Ah, no, that was the 3,000 men that the Nehuda took to go after Shimshon, similar to the 3,000 men. Shaul going after David. But I wanted to show you this. Okay, back in chapter 15, when Shaul fails to um, wipe out Amalek, um, you got to wipe out Amalek. Because Amalek will never do tshuva. And Shmuel says to Shaul, Shaul says, just come back and give me honor. Shaul is interested in keeping the appearances and everything. And he says, no, I'm not going to come. At this point, Shmuel goes to leave and he holds on to the, uh, the end of his cloak and it rips. This is Perkvetva. God has ripped the kingship from you today and given it to the one, your friend, who's better than you. Now Rashi says, When Shemuel turned around, Shaul tried to stop him by grabbing his cloak and it ripped. But there's different explanations. Some say Shemuel ripped his own cloak, or Shmuel ripped Shaul's cloak. He gave him this sign. The sign, according to the Medrash, is that the person who cuts your cloak, he's the one who's going to get the kingship. So when so this is a double whammy for Shaul when he's standing there and he sees what's happened. And Shdobit doesn't really get the symbolism because he doesn't remember that incident. He wasn't there. But when Shaul realizes he could have killed me, he didn't kill me, and he cut the cloak. And the cloak was the siman, the sign that Shmuel gave him. The one who cuts your cloak will be the king. So now Shaul says, I know that you will rule. In fact, Yonatan said that in the previous parak, my father also knows this. So it could be from the very beginning, from the time that David went out to fight Goliath and Shaul said, who is that guy? From that moment, Shaul had the feeling, you know, that feeling, and it got stronger and stronger, and Shaul's animosity got stronger and stronger and stronger. And now he's certain there's no more doubt. I just want to point out to you two interesting things here. One is here. It's, it's very, very interesting to go through Tehillim where David talks about these things. So the first one is Chavzayin. This references Shaul chasing after David and him in the cave. God be gracious to me. And he says it twice. And here Rashi says, very similar to Yaakov, right? That's um, 
that next week's parsha where it says by by you are Yaakov by that Yaakov was afraid that he would be killed by Esau and he was afraid that he would kill Esau. Similarly, David is afraid that Shaul will kill him and he's also afraid that he'll kill Shaul. I'm asking Hashem to save me. I am in the this this thing and full of emuna. Chazal say that David used to wake up the dawn, used to get up early and um, and sing praises to God. And that's when he um, was busy with his Tehillim and that he was the one who woke up the dawn. It's very, very beautiful. And interestingly enough, this, this Tehillim is full of Amuna and everything else, but there's another uh, parak, where is it, that references the same cave here. And this is a um, 142, Kufmembe. Very famous one that people say when they're in trouble, right? This is David before when he's in so much fear, hiding in the back of the cave, and they see. Right, and I'm so frightened. There's nobody to save me. There's nobody. Now, the masger, we saw that word again that back in Chafkimel that. Nizgar uh, Lavo, uh, and here uh, Shaul says, um, "I was sagur in your hand." That same expression, and here David is is voicing that distress. Please, Hashem, save uh, save me from my enemies. There's nobody to help me um, except you, Hashem. So that's something to think about. Okay, let's stop the share. I mean, let's just give you his two beautiful prakim from Tehillim that referenced the cave. Okay, anyone have any questions, comments, thoughts? You wanna unmute yourselves? No comments, no questions? It's such a, you know, in, in a way, such a beautiful parrot to me. It's like when you finally take the, the mask off of Shaul and you see the real Shaul and he's so sad and he's like, my. My son David, and he can't pull out of his rough ride. Can't fix it. Sad. Can I ask a, a like um a question, which is it's just interesting to me that Shaul was punished. Who's speaking, Neely? For being oh yeah, me. Hi, hi, Rosenstein. So um that Shaul was punished for being too merciful to the people that he was supposed to kill. And and then here, David Melech is being merciful to Shaul, but it's like a good thing. Do you get? I, it's just a very interesting juxtaposition. Do you get what I'm saying? Right. So isn't it the same thing to saying why are you being merciful when you should be cruel? But it isn't really the same thing because it, there's a, there's an interesting. Um, I believe it's the Malbim which might answer your question. The Malbim says that David really didn't know what he was going to do when he approached Shaul. He didn't know what he was going to do. And he began by cutting the cloak. And that felt to him so wrong that it sent off alarm bells in his head. And the Malvin makes an interesting comment. He says, experimenting in a way to see if perhaps Shoal's time was up because eventually he's going to be up and he's got the, the Nebuah that he's and when he cuts the cloak and he feels so bad he's like no it's not the right time so he has like this sort of innate you know sadic meter but he, he he's righteous enough to realize oh no this is not right even that little thing i did was wrong it's not right so somehow he is not 
in any way to kill Shaul. He hasn't actually gotten guidance on this, except perhaps what Shmuel tells him. We don't know what Shmuel told him. We have no idea. Right. He doesn't have a command to kill Shaul. That's what I wanted to say, that Shaul got a command and didn't listen. He has a command and he doesn't follow through. So it's different. And here David has to make his own judgment. And his judgment is, even, even cutting his cloak was a problem. I shouldn't have done that. It's not, this is not up to me. He says it several times, God will judge, God will judge. I'm not going to be a Russia. You could be a Russia if you want, but I'm not going to be a Russia. It's very chazak. It tells you a lot about David's character. And it's kind of sad when we like take off the mask and see that, you know, Shaul really is a great person as well, but he he's just kind of possessed. Very sad. Very sad story. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Next week a little bit of a change of pace story of uh of Gael and Naval. Be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. So interesting. So to vote. We should hear good things and good news. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Esther. What? Thank you very much, Esther. Okay. Thank you. We should hear good news. Yeshua Hashem Perif Ayan. When you, when you dive in and you say Matya Asurim, right? Say yep. anything, and we're going to dive in that that happens quickly. Yeah. Amen. Bye bye.